This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, Lorraine. I've got a little special Mm. message from your furry friend, Margot. Would you like to hear it? Yes, go on. Oh, my God, Trish. Have you recorded Margot meowing? Yes, I have. Right, so we'll put, to one, we'll put to one side the psychology of why mm, you've recorded Margot okay. in your inappropriate cat-human relationship. And what? just talk me through, what, well, what is it about? I thought you might appreciate... <laughs> This is what I get every morning when I open up the bedroom door because she's not allowed in. She's literally sitting there, meowing mm-hmm. like that, furious, furious with me and uh, <laughs> talking to the animals. It's all about talking to the animals. What do you think she's saying? Is she, what's she saying? She's, she's saying, um, what have you done with my sequined leotard? <laughs> yes, Devil human. Like, I'm off to the gym. I need my things. Um, no, I think she's just furious because she's been kept out of the bedroom. All They're night. just permanently a, cross, cats. Yes, because she she wants to come in and scratch my furniture. So, um, yeah, that's her day's job, her day's work, ruining the furniture in every room of the house. You know how I feel about Margot, mm, don't you? I, do, I think I you should keep us apart. I'm going to record okay. a little message for you to send back to her later. Okay. Mm. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. I'm Trish Halpin and we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Lorraine and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. Well, as you can tell, Trish, I am a little giddy today because I'm about to be reunited with our A-list guest today. We have a history, me and this guest. I really cannot wait to see her again. Well, we do have quite the show for everybody lined up today. Apart from our superstar guest, we will be asking if you have fallen prey to the disease to please. Yes, Mm. pleasing other people is a trap that many women in midlife end up falling into because by the time you get to this stage, there are just so many people to try and keep happy, aren't there? Or are there, Trish? Mm. Mm. I've got an interesting theory on people-pleasing, contrary as usual. We Mm. are also going to be diving headfirst into a glass of rosé for our How to Win at Midlife section of the show. Now that we're enjoying nights out again, and no doubt we'll be loving our favourite summer drink, but will it love us back, Trish? Will it love us back? Sadly, the reality is that perimenopause and menopause plus rosé, or any booze for that matter, are not the best of cocktails. They don't mix well, do they? No, unfortunately they don't. But we're not abandoning the white wine werewolf just yet. We have tips for you all. White wine what? I'll explain later. I'll explain later. But we can't hold you in suspense any longer because our guest today is none other than Elizabeth Hurley, the global da, ambassador. Da, da. She's the global ambassador for the Estee Lauder Company's breast cancer campaign. Now, come on, Rain, I know you're dying to drop one of your (laughs) 
Oh, one of your A-list name bombs. Go for it. You know I like to do this every time we are together. So I am indeed going to drop it. So I once took part in a TV series called Project Catwalk with mm. Elizabeth Hurley and Ooh. Julian McDonald, yes. the fashion designer, when I was editing Cosmopolitan. So this is over 20 years ago. Oh. Do you think she'll remember me, Trish? I think she, maybe, maybe. Do you think she'll say, oh, you, you haven't changed, you look exactly the yes, same? Yes, that's what she'll say. Yeah, she well, she was excellent fun. And as I recall, she used to like a Kit Kat. Oh, well, she that was... makes her our kind of woman. I know, big on the chocolate no. snacks. Yes, but she's here today with an important message and one we want to personally share with all of you as well. So please do stay tuned because it might just change your life. Yes, now, but before we get to that, I want to share something that came from our private Facebook group. And it's also a very important health message for women. The very smart Kate Redshaw on the group reminded us about the Department of Health and Social Care Consultation on Women's Health. Now, I filled in this questionnaire some time ago because I am a goody two-shoes, Trish. (laughs) I am. That's the kind of thing I do on a day-to-day basis. Anyway, I filled it in to ram home the point that the government's health strategy around perimenopause and menopause care for women is severely lacking. We know this from everyone who contacted us after Davina McCall came on the podcast. GPs really don't seem to know how to prescribe HRT properly, and many are still mistakenly offering antidepressants. It really is a scandal, I think. Gen X women won't put up with this, and we don't have to endure those 40-plus mental and physical (laughs) symptoms of the perimenopause anymore do we no we don't and we want proper support and treatment to replace those lost hormones and i've actually completed the survey this morning and it takes about 15 minutes and it's quite straightforward you have to pick five issues that are a priority for you and menopause is on there so that's brilliant and you get to say what you think about your experiences with the health service through you know your experience of menopause and other illnesses too so we'd love it if you would add your voice it's open until the 13th of june so it's still time you just need to go to www www.gov.uk and it's called Women's Health Strategy Call for Evidence and we have put a note uh, in with the episode recommendations on Facebook for this show today. Great so that's it we're done with our health and safety messages until we meet Elizabeth that is so let's get on with postcards from midlife. Well, it's jibber-jabber time, and this week we are planning to put an end to something that women, including ourselves, have done far too much of in our lives, and that's people-pleasing. Yes, well, it's something that is especially challenging, I think, during midlife, during the menopause years, especially when we're experiencing physical, emotional changes and all that feeling of being a bit overwhelmed. We can start to find it hard to say no again and to keep boundaries that we've set for ourselves, if indeed we have managed to set any boundaries. I think there's just lots of people coming at you in midlife. (laughs) you just want an easy life so you you sort of say yes when it's quite difficult to say no don't you are you a people pleaser Uh, I have been a people pleaser and actually doing some research on this has made me kind of realize why I was a people pleaser and why I'm not any longer but I think it's interesting the reasons why we do it we're trying to make others happy and we go out of our way to please someone even if it means taking our own valuable time or resources away from ourselves and the reason we do it of course is because of insecurities and lack of self-esteem so essentially it's about self-validation so to feel that we're needed and useful because if we feel like that it's going to make us feel good about ourselves so that need for external approval It's about boosting self-esteem, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's conditioning as well. And sometimes in midlife, though, it's it's that point of making a change and resetting Mm -hmm. everything and thinking, do I need to do it this way? I 
have not considered myself a people pleaser Mm -hmm. because I'm quite good at saying no, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as you know. Mm -hmm. I don't really have deep worries about what people think about me. But in researching this, Trish, I've Mm -hmm. realised that is part of the people-pleasing problem, unfortunately, my attitude to it. So there's quite a few books coming out on Mm people-pleasing, so we've hit on a nerve. Emma Reed Terrell, who's a psychotherapist who was on Elizabeth Dade's podcast, How to Fail, has written a book, How to Stop People-Pleasing and Transform Your Life. So this is about pleasing yourself. Now, she identifies four different types of people-pleaser, and I do fall into one of those, even though... Okay. I say I wasn't. So you have the classic people pleaser, someone who wants to keep people happy all the time, you know, plans the best birthday parties, just delivers everything they can and best they possibly can. Quite stressful. And then you're not really being yourself when you do that. You have the shadows people pleaser. These are deputies. These are the wingmen. These are people that kind of deflate themselves so that the person they're with is happy all the time. We know those, don't we, I think. The avoidance is the third people pleaser. So there are those who just don't want to displease. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're so desperate to contain themselves and keep harmony at all costs and avoid Mm -hmm. any form of confrontation that it's really quite stressful for that particular people pleaser. Mm -hmm. And then there's a fourth one, which is what I think I fall into, Mm -hmm. and you wouldn't think it's a people pleaser, and I'm sure a lot of other women do, and it's probably stressful being like this, is the resistor. So these people are kind of, they don't want to be in the gang, they want to lead the gang. (laughs) They are also practicing avoidance. They're just completely controlling it and saying it doesn't affect them and it's nothing to do with them because they really don't want to deal with it. So they step out of the pleasing. It's not that they're not caring. It's just a strategy to keep themselves absolutely safe so they don't engage with any Mm. of those emotions. So a lot of her work is about how to awaken who Mm -hmm. you are inside yourself Mm. and this people pleasing comes from right the way back from the moment we're born Mm. actually she says it's conditioning really is what we're dealing with she has a really nice thing in the book where you write your joy list of things that actually please you oh that's nice (laughs) and you just decide that those are the things that do please you and you're going to do them and you learn to say no you don't learn to say I can't or Mm -hmm. I'm not able to do that today you don't offer any explanation you just say no I don't want Mm -hmm. to do that so I think that's quite a good way of looking at it isn't it a lot of it is like all these things just protecting yourself yeah yeah I think because you know when I think about mine it's you know as as a child being incredibly shy having sort of low self-esteem and confidence and all of that and then as you kind of grow up with that that kind of translated then in my probably my teens and my 20s like you'd go you know you'd go out somewhere and you'd have a few drinks with loads of people and then you'd spend all night thinking oh god what did I say to that person and kind of really overanalyzing in case you said anything that might have upset somebody so I think there's a bit of that and that all comes down to I suppose fear of rejection and I think where it changed for me was probably in my 30s when I think my confidence just it just changed I kind of grew into who I was and who I wanted motherhood to be gives you confidence. motherhood yeah. my career my relationship and I think when you have those feelings of contentment you're going to have self-acceptance which I think is the thing but the reason I thought I still might be a please people pleaser was because trying to work out what's the difference between being kind and people pleasing and there is a difference okay and that's I think that's that's an important thing to know so you are very kind oh thank you I I like to think I'm quite kind (laughs) so the difference is people pleasing you do it for the self 
affirmation, yeah. right? You do it because you it want keeps people you to safe. like you and it keeps you safe, but you're doing it for you essentially. Yes. Whereas you're kind, if you're being kind to someone, you're doing it because you're kind and because yeah. you're not thinking what you're going to get out of it on an emotional level or a physical. You're not avoiding anything. No, exactly. You're yeah. just doing it. And I, I did a little quiz on BuzzFeed, had a quiz. <laughs> Pleasing quiz. Time on your hands. Oh, God, one well, no, five yeah. minutes this morning. And I thought, well, I'll quickly do that. And of course, all the questions were sort of aimed at people going out to pubs and clubs and things, which isn't me. But it did say, you're really not a people pleaser. You're polite when you turn people down, but you're very strong minded and you know what you want. You've never been afraid of speaking up for yourself, even if that means putting yourself before others at times. So I wouldn't say that's all true in my past, but I think it would, I would say it's true now. So it's a good point to get to, isn't it? Um, Oprah always says that before an action and before a thought, there is an intention. And if you work out what your intention is of any of your behavior, then it's easier to make a decision around. It's easier to say no. It's easier. What what do you want to achieve by it? I mean, it's a conundrum, I think, for women because we're taught quite early on not to have a voice, aren't we? I mean, Mm. I feel that that's quite a powerful message we get. You know, don't speak out. Don't be small. Be nice. Be small. Um, Mm. So it really is, I think, probably more of a female trait. But I have decided Mm. I'm not going to avoid things anymore. Good. Okay. Face all the emotions. Brace yourself, Trish. You can Go coach on. me through it, given that you you aren't a people pleaser. Yes, and I am a coach. You are instead a cat pleaser. <laughs> yes, this is possibly yes. true. And one final thing to be aware yes. of for the classic people pleasing is saying sorry. Count up the number okay. of times you say sorry in a day. And if you're doing it a lot, just stop. I'm going to say sorry now, though, Trish. <laughs> To the new listeners, you may not be aware that we are amateurs in the world of podcasting, anything audio, and there's a lot of rustling going on, isn't there? Which is yes, our notes, which we have to have because we're working from home, and also because we have that midlife brain fog and forget everything anyone ever tells us. So apologies to that. We are not quite at woman's hour standards yet, but we will be. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Today's guest has one of the most important messages for you that we've ever delivered here on Postcards from Midlife. It could, in fact, be a life-saving message, so do listen up. 
Last March, the NHS temporarily suspended screening for breast cancer across the UK because of COVID. As a result, the charity Breast Cancer Now estimates that one million women did not get the vital screening they needed. And this in turn means that almost 9,000 women who have not had a scan may have undetected breast cancer. Now, we all know that early detection of breast cancer increases your chances of successful treatment. So on top of this news, last October, the charity carried out a news survey which revealed 47% of women do not regularly check their breasts for signs of cancer and one in 10 never do so. So this is not good. Trish and I are very disappointed in you all. So we've had to call in a big name guest to get this message across and sort it out, haven't we, Trish? Yes, we have. Well, when we've got a serious message to deliver, we do like to get our facts right, don't we? So today we're proud to introduce someone who has been travelling the world, spreading the word on the importance of breast health for more than 20 years. She's the global ambassador for the Estee Lauder Company's breast cancer campaign and has been raising funds for research, education and medical services on behalf of the Estee Lauder Companies. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Elizabeth Hurley. Hello, how very nice to see you via Zoom. (laughs) You look lovely in your pink room there. Now, we once worked together. You won't remember Project Catwalk. Do you remember that? Of course I remember it. (laughs) I remember you being rather partial to a chocolate snack during the break times. And that was a relief for me that you were eating Kit Kats and Mars bars. (laughs) Well, I know. I think I might have eaten too many of them during these 14 months of lockdown. (laughs) It's kind of sad. Now lockdown's over and we have to stop eating. So you are here, very important message for us today. So you're campaigning for better awareness of breast cancer as Estee Lauder's global ambassador, because actually this started in a very personal place for you. Your grandmother died of breast cancer, didn't she? I think sometimes when we talk about women who've lived with, we don't hear their stories. We don't hear who they are. We just talk about the breast cancer. So tell us what she was like, your grandmother. Well, she was she was lovely. She was a very important part of my my childhood. My father was in the army, so we moved around a lot. And frequently during breaks between various quarters, which is what they're called when you're in the army and you're moving Mm. from house to house, you move to new quarters. Us kids, me, my big sister and little brother would frequently always be sent to stay with grandma and granddad. It was really like our sort of base home throughout my childhood. As I got older and started working, she was always fascinated with my career, cut out everything from magazines and Mm. newspapers and everything. Because of the way she died of breast cancer, which was in the early 1990s, when I was sort of mid-20s, I guess. So I was living in America at the time, so I wasn't seeing her regularly. But I think when Evelyn Lauder asked me to help with her new campaign, which was in the mid-90s, when I just started working for Esther Lauder, everything she was saying about breast cancer and how it was at that time, which is more than 25 years ago now. It just ranks so true for me because this is 26 years ago. She said, women all over the world are dying of breast cancer and no one is talking about it. Mm. And I want to change that. And as she kept talking, I realized that everything she said was us with my grandmother. Certainly nobody went with her to her appointments, Mm. to her doctors, into the hospital when she had her double mastectomy. She didn't talk to us about treatment. I don't know if she was even talked to about treatments and treatment options. There actually weren't so many treatment options back then. One of the very big strides that have been made in breast cancer is that people now know there are many different sorts of breast cancer and each type of breast cancer is treated differently today 
It wasn't back then. Everybody was pretty much blasted with the same treatment. And I think it was a pretty grim treatment. And of course, in some cases, the treatment actually wasn't at all right for that breast cancer and it wouldn't respond to it. Obviously, it didn't in my grandmother's case. Also, over the years, we've discovered that if a tumour is found early, it's extremely treatable and people stand a very good chance of surviving. Back then, because nobody knew that, nobody was told to check their breasts. Nobody was told to run to the doctor the minute you're frightened. My grandmother was very frightened and didn't tell anybody for a long time. So when she finally went to the doctor, apparently because the pain was so bad, her tumours were incredibly large, late stage tumours, and it was too late. So everything Evelyn said resonated. But I just think had she been diagnosed at a time when we know what we know about breast cancer, she could have been around for so much longer. I think it's one of those things that has really spurred me on to keep going with the campaign because it's very personal for me. And I can see how what we've learned today could have been applied back then had we known it. And we just didn't. Yes. And my mother, Elizabeth, also died of breast cancer and she had been misdiagnosed with a lump that she went back to the doctor several times about. And it was about 20 years ago. And again, it was almost like it scared the life out of you, the, the phrase breast cancer. But the point you're making about it being treatable if it's caught early is is just so important and I think one of the the worries is that with the pandemic that women haven't been going to the doctors whether they haven't been able to access their doctors or whether they just felt oh they don't want to bother their doctors and that's a concern now isn't it we might be going back a step I think there's a very big concern and I think there's been two things I think charities like the Breast Cancer Research Foundation you know, for whom the Estee Lauder Company's breast cancer campaign raises funds for. Yes, of course, there's been less funding coming in. And also scientists on various studies have had some of their work stopped due to the pandemic. And yeah, women have been missing their appointments. Sometimes they couldn't literally get to the doctors because they were only seeing emergencies due to the pandemic. Sometimes you're right. People thought, my God, there's so much going on. I can just delay my regular checkup. I was one of those people. I had my mammogram in December. It was due in June. I too was six months late because mm-hmm. it just didn't seem the time. I talk about breast cancer every day. And I, I was six months late with mine too. I mean, it <laughs> happened. And if you think of how many tests, especially when you get to an, an older age where I don't know about you, but a lot of my friends are having things that they now need to go to the doctor for. Yeah. Not only are there testings and, you know, at various ages, at various milestones, they say, you know, at 50, you now should have your first colonoscopy if you haven't had one. There's various milestones and more and more people are telling me, oh, my husband's been told he's got this. Oh, I've got this. And it's a concern. As the caretakers of the world, I do believe that women need to value themselves enough to say, no, this is my time to go to the doctor with this niggling little thing. There's almost definitely nothing, but I'm going to go. You had your first mammogram, I think, when you were 40, didn't you? And that's something we have to have regularly as women, isn't it? Do you have one every year? I have one every year. And I'm aware that the American Cancer Society actually gives different advice to the one here in the UK. I was sent it out of America. Evelyn Norder gave me mine for my 40th birthday present. She Mm -hmm. gave me my first mammogram and she made me promise that I'd have one every year. I have had one every year. It's a little different Mm. here, but what shouldn't be different anywhere in the world is that Evelyn Lauder and all the scientists that I've spoken to at the Breast Cancer Research Foundation have recommended that at puberty, girls are taught how to check their own breasts by a doctor. Mm -hmm. And they continue to do that throughout their life. Every month at the same time of month, because Evelyn told me that your breasts change during the month, during your cycles, 
they get heavier, they get bigger. Sometimes if you have cystic breasts, they could feel Mm -hmm. a little different. But once you get to know your own breasts, the idea is that if you sense a change, which somebody else might not feel because they don't know your breasts, you'll then say, hang on a sec, that looks different, that feels different, there wasn't a pucker there before. Mm-hmm. Something's going on here. And that's when you go to your doctor. Yeah, you're right. I was talking to my 17-year-old daughter about it this morning, aware that I hadn't properly talked to her about this. And I said, all right, so they've talked to you about that in school. She said, no, they don't They don't talk to mm. us. As she went to a girl's school, they don't teach them how to check sure. their breasts. I mean, that it is, it is absurd, isn't it? So I did it with her. You'll be pleased to hear. And uh, she's promised me she'll be doing that every month from now on. But you will have met so many people on this amazing journey that you've been on. Which personal stories have moved you the most in your campaigning on this issue? Well, I mean, it's so difficult because, you know, over 26 years, I've met so many women who are being treated for breast cancer, women who've just been diagnosed. I've met women who've gone on to not make it. I've met their family members. I've met their surgeons. I've met the research scientists. So many people, so many stories. Every single one is very moving. I remember being on television once and I was doing an interview with a family who, in their case, they were carrying the gene, the BRCA gene. It was actually the father who had the gene that he passed on and his two daughters had breast cancer. And we were all on this television show together talking. That was very moving. And I remember right back in the day when Evelyn and I used to do a lot of personal appearances. We used to go to various stores, Bloomingdale's, Harrods, Macy's, and we'd sign product that the Estee Lauder companies were selling to raise funds for breast cancer. And people would stand in line and they'd come up and we'd sign their product. And we used to always hate it when we saw teenage boys or young men in the line because we knew when they got up, they were going to tell us their mum had breast cancer or they just yeah. lost their mum. Mm. Mm-hmm. So our hearts would sink a bit because, you know, we were meant to be uplifting, cheering. And of course, we both wanted to cry every mm-hmm. time we heard any of that. There's this wonderful research scientist that we support called Dame Leslie Fallowfield, who is a, she's a fantastic research scientist. And I've been with her before and taken part in some of her studies and met a lot of the women who she's been working with. And a lot of those women, I, I don't think, did make it, but they all had stories. They all had families. Most of them had children. And, you know, it's heartbreaking. It's hard, actually, to single anyone out. There's just so many women, uh, not a close friend, but a friend of mine who had twins and a young son and was diagnosed with a late-stage breast cancer. She wrote a book telling about her story. Basically, every 14 seconds, somewhere in the world, someone's mm-hmm. still diagnosed with breast cancer. So there's a lot of stories out there. And what is just so helpful, I think, for a lot of people is when people are prepared to share and talk about these things, it can make them feel better. It's a very humbling experience on the whole. You've been friends with people who've been diagnosed. And, you know, Trish and I have friends who are kind of going through it as well. How do you help someone who's just been diagnosed or is going through that now? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure everyone's you know very different. Mm. But from what I've heard, that women are just so tired when they're going yeah. through therapy. I think very basic things like taking the kids out, doing the grocery shopping, cooking, bringing food around, vacuuming stairs for them, just things that are very hard and very easy. And I, and I, th- I think a lot of women, if they're asked, how can I help? Everybody says, I don't need any help. So people have said when they come downstairs from their nap and actually someone's cleaned the kitchen, they said okay. that was a real beautiful gift. People also like quite luxury items, I think. I think when you're ill, people do tend to make shepherd's pies. And sometimes they'd like a bottle of fragrance. Mm. They'd like bath oil. They'd actually like something just to make each a moment better. 
So I think that's nice. But actually, also on a different level, one of the studies that Dame Leslie Fallowfield was working on was stress and the stress hormone and how that could possibly be linked to, sorry, I can hear my, I've got a pregnant spaniel next door. Oh. I'm, just to be let in. I'm just gonna let her in. Hang I'm on, let her second. in. Hang Aww. on. Come on, little baby. Pregnant spaniel. Come on, come to mommy. Sorry, puppies are due. Oh, sweet. Oh, how I know, I know. Oh, you're oh, she's there. Oh. Nice. Yeah, and she's very wet. What's your dog to... called? This little one is called Ava. Oh. Ava and Mia, two matching oh. spaniels from Mia Farrow and Ava Gardner. <laughs> and so anyway, there was this study being done and I took part in the study and had my stress hormones measured at different times. So they did these tests where they took, it was a saliva test to find out the levels of stress hormone in your body at certain times. And it turned out through doing it through different times that actually the lowest stress level, for, for example, on me was when I took a nice brisk walk. And when I was lying down and thinking too much, my stress levels actually went up. Actually look at the difference in perhaps having a stress hormone present in a cell during chemotherapy, during breast cancer treatment, could have made the treatment less efficient. Fascinating. Well, really fascinating. So actually when people say stress kills, you've got to relax more. So again, giving somebody a massage, you know, encouraging them to walk towards their chemotherapy session, to find a way to switch off, to try and get the cortisol levels down, might make a difference to your treatment. Mm. Things like that, which people are discovering, are, I think, vital and can make a big difference and can also help us with how we can help. What has changed then over the years that you've been campaigning? So I presume when you started, you were educating and just getting people to talk about it. Do you start much further down the line in your conversations now? Because in some ways it's gone forward and in some ways it's gone back a bit. It's hard to take women seriously, I find, with the medical profession sometimes. Well, it's interesting because my niece, for example, who's 25, she'll never have known a world without the pink ribbon. She'll never have known a time when we didn't talk about breast cancer, self-checking, they know it. It's part, they know October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. They know so much more than I knew growing up in the 70s, which was nothing. I mean, literally nothing. So that's the fact that the conversation is going on, the fact that we're, you know, we're here today talking about this publicly is, is a very big thing. And I've been to some developing countries where it's not so easy to talk about breast cancer. It's not so easy to talk about breasts. And it still is more, to, you know, they're more taboo subjects. And it's much harder to reach women in developing countries when they don't have the voice. It's just not the dumb thing still. Well, it wasn't the dumb thing when I was growing up and when my grandmother was dying. It wasn't the dumb thing to talk about her cancer around the table like grown-ups, debating treatments, talking about it. It just wasn't the dumb thing and it is the dumb thing now. So, I mean, the progress is just is vast from that point of view. I mean, we used to be called the Breast Cancer Awareness Campaign, which was actually changed to the Breast Cancer Campaign because the awareness levels were so high. I think now, as far as I'm concerned, it's making sure that the youngsters are still continuing to be educated. You know, it's alarming that you said your daughter at school mm. hadn't had a chat about breast cancer. They should be. And I know there have been programs talking about having traveling programs that go around to school to talk to girls about breast cancer. And I think that would be a wonderful thing to happen. So to me now, it's just fundraising. I mean, the research mm-hmm. scientists say yeah. there's only one thing between a day where women do not die of breast cancer and today where they are still dying of breast cancer. And that's research. And for more research, they need more money. And, you know, they're really getting there. It made 
massive strides. There's a 40% decrease in deaths from breast cancer in the last 40 years, which is phenomenal. But there's definitely no room for complacency because we all know people who've died. So let's talk about breasts, your lovely breasts. Do you check them every day? Because I think people should check them every day. You should do that in the shower, shouldn't you? In the shower is a great time because you're washing yourself anyway. It's a very good time to have a check. People probably don't have that extra five minutes every single day. I mean, Evelyn said every month at the same time of month. So because of the fluctuation. Oh, right. mm, yeah. You know, so that's not a bad idea. You'd pick a day of the month. She always said to me, why don't you do it on the 10th of every month? Because my birthday is the 10th of June. She said, you won't yeah. forget that then if you pick a month or the first of the month. Maybe that's the best way. You could be watching television. You could be lying in bed. You know, <laughs> do your breasts change over the years? Do we know about really, this, Trish? After menopause, I certainly noticed that my mine have changed because you're not having that cycle. So you're not having yeah. the, the kind of monthly thing of them, you know, changing and everything. So that is, a, I think, as well, an very important time for women to, to kind of get used to the way that their bodies have changed because our bodies have changed in midlife. So we need to become aware of those changes. I think. Well, that's right. And also up until 40, mammograms can be quite difficult too because the breast mm-hmm. tissue is dead. Yes. So that's normally why they say your first mammogram should start at 40. So before 40, I think they have to use ultrasounds and, yeah. and you have mm-hmm. to rely on self-checking because mm-hmm. there won't be government checks in place on the NHS. It's actually 54. I've just had a, a letter from the NHS, but I've been on a, a family screening programme at the Marsden. But I think 54, you get your first NHS one. That's worth knowing for people to look out for as well. Yeah. I'm going to check your breasts on the 10th of every month. <laughs> That's what's going to happen to you. Now, you have been, Elizabeth, an Estee Lauder ambassador for some time. So what have been the high points? What are the things you've really enjoyed doing? Because you've done some pretty glamorous things, I think. It's such a long time now, being in my 26th (laughs) year of representing the company. Such a baby when you started. Actually, I might be going to my 27th year. Um, (laughs) 95 is when I signed. That was such a formative part of my life. It was sort of late 20s and then onwards. It's been part of it for so long. And first of all, when I first started, we were just Estee Lauder brand, not Estee Lauder companies. It was just me. So I did all of it. I did all the fragrances, all the makeup, all the skincare. Now they have many fabulous ambassadors. Mm. You might have one girl in one fragrance, one the other. It was, it was different then. So it was much, much more work. And I got to work with the best photographers, yeah. indisputably in the world, the best stylists, the best hair and makeup people. It was wonderful. And launching products all around the world. And then, of course, in tandem with that, right from the beginning, when Evelyn found me in 95 and asked me to help her with her campaign, which was the Breast Cancer Research Campaign and what was the uh, Estee Lauder Breast Cancer Awareness Campaign, that has always gone hand in hand with that. So Mm -hmm. as well as talking about face creams and lipsticks, we were also always raising funds for this. Mm -hmm. So it's been a very nice journey of being able to do both. Both of them, you know, very female orientated, both of them very important in their own fields. It's just been a wonderful journey. The Lord of Family. I mean, they're like my extended family because just people almost so adopted long. you. We've all grown up together for so long. Uh, Leonard Lauder just published a book called The Company I Keep, which are his memoirs of mm-hmm. being in the beauty business. And it's just, I mean, it's fascinating because he goes right back to the 1930s and 40s, traveling around with his mummy, Estee. She was a beginner, you know, cooking the creams on her stove in their flat in Queens. Mm -hmm. Leonard was sticking on the labels. It's just 
the most fascinating story. And then, you know, he obviously talks through the 90s, which is when I joined the company. Then the company went public pretty much after I just started. And the difference is that came and they became the Estee Lauder companies. A fascinating story of a woman who was so ahead of her time. Well, you've been cheering us as well on social media during the pandemic. (laughs) We've loved the commitment to marmalade making. It's very impressive. But (laughs) what else has been the highlight of this past year? Because it's been a very unusual year for everybody. Yeah, it's been a monstrous year in some ways. And in some ways, I've seen some benefits. The first lockdown was tough because at that time, of course, there were no vaccines. We were very Mm. scared. I had my mother and her sister, both in their 80s, living with me, and another friend who is was very compromised in the immune mm. part. So I was very conscious of keeping them safe. And then there were a load of us my age and my son. So we had a huge gang and we completely isolated ourselves off. I was the only one that left the house, almost in a hazmat suit, once <laughs> 10 days to do the shopping. And we were just here. And I have to say, even though we were scared that something bad could happen to the people yeah. at risk, it was a very bonding time. And the first time as family members, we'd hung out. I mean, since the 70s, it was an extraordinary time from that point of view. Then when it eased up a bit, I was lucky and went off and did two movies. But then the last lockdown, you know, from January onwards, I have to say that one has was pretty tough. Mm. Really tough. It was the winter. It was cold. It was miserable. People were getting coughs and colds anyway, when we were always in hysteria that someone had got COVID. And I started to really long for life to get back. My mother got her two vaccines. That was great. I had my second vaccine yesterday. So I feel Mm -hmm. thrilled to have done that. Mm -hmm. And now we see light at the end of the tunnel and it's a better story. When I I went back to the hospital yesterday for my second jab, when I went for my first one, they had 500 COVID patients in there. Mm -hmm. Yesterday they had 50, which is great. However, I just want to say all those 50 people were not vaccinated. And most were elderly and vulnerable. They hadn't taken the vaccine. I think I'm really getting to the stage now where I'm not I'm not going to be too keen to hang out with people mm, who yeah. don't want to be vaccinated. I don't want to risk bringing germs into my mother and mm-hmm. vulnerable people. You know, they say that by June, they're going to open it up to the over 18s. Mm-hmm. My son will have his as soon as he's able to. He feels very conscious when he goes out, which he hasn't yet. But, you know, mm-hmm. he's one friend who's at university who could have seen 150 mm. friends. He's like, now I don't want to see grandma just in case one of them had the Indian variant and I'm going to bring it into the house. And I think that's a really tough way for our kids to live, you know, because he has such a sense of responsibility for people like my mother. It's seriously infringing on his life. I'm not going to let my teenagers go out anyway in case they leave home by accident. That's (laughs) (laughs) Now, Elizabeth, you must have the best collection of skincare makeup. You must have a very, very amazing bathroom what are your beauty secrets i don't think we can have you on postcards from midlife without asking you your daily skincare routine and i mean i just look at you and think gosh wow that's just amazing you're very nice well i think <laughs> a i have been very spoiled because you know ever since yes. my late 20s i've been with the estelauder companies a big break for me was when my contract changed into being with the Estee Lauder companies instead of mm-hmm. the Estee Lauder brand. <laughs> but now I can get my mix on all the brands, which means I have Ford, Bobby Brown. I've got them all now, La Mer, all of them at my disposal. And I use them all. I have an arsenal of stuff. And for me, I quite like just picking a moisturizer to use this morning yeah. or tonight rather than always using the same one. So I like jumping between them all and mixing it up. You know, I didn't wear a lot of makeup during lockdown. 
there wasn't so much of a massive cleanse, but it was a great time to try more gloopy stuff. And as you get older, the serums, I think, become more and more important for your skin. And Mm -hmm. continuing to add the right type of moisturiser is more vital now than perhaps it was before. As we get more and more assorted with air conditioning and heat, all that stuff is just rotten for our skin. So for me, it's mm-hmm. always about now, today, I look and go, I think my hands could do with some hand cream. <laughs> you know, if you wear tight jeans for two days and didn't moisturize, you have rather scaly crocodile shit. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot yeah. of moisturizing. So you've got to drink yeah. more water and you've got to put more on your skin. So for me, it's always about, I get very excited when there's new body creams or new moisturizers coming out. And they're the ones I really want to try. Even though, like everyone, I find it very boring putting on body moisturizer. But, you know, <laughs> but your skin is exquisite. I can see it glowing. Uh, I think there might be a filter. We've got our Zoom, Zoom filters situation. on. <laughs> <laughs> now, sure. what about fitness? Because you know what? We're going to wear, Trish and I are going to be wearing mm. bikinis when we are unleashed on the beach. We definitely are. I mean, we're only going to go to Cornwall, isn't it? Not going to be that glamorous. So um, how do you stay fit? Because you do look fantastic from a fitness point. It is something you're interested well, in, I think, isn't it? I think through the working with the breast cancer campaign, I've mm. really understood the importance of health, yeah. both from a diet point of view and from an activity point of view. I, I mean, I haven't been to a gym for a hundred years. I can't even remember when I last went to a gym. I don't like that sort of exercise, but I'm very active. So I don't sit around much. And when I'm here in the country, which of course for lockdown, I was here a lot, I'm very active outside all the time. Plus I spent my life running upstairs, carrying things and just faffing around. So I think burning up a lot of calories by being active in London, I find it much, much, much harder. So I always have to remember to have some comfortable gym shoes and just walk a bit more. But it's not so nice walking in London. So I think mm. if I lived in London, I would want to have a walking machine inside maybe or just something. I just think, especially as you get older, it's harder to keep the weight off if you're not active. I mean, it can be cleaning the skirting boards. Is, you burn a lot of calories. There's a lot of things we can do, which isn't just yawn, yawn, go to the gym. I think it's just encouraging people to be as active as possible. Walking and put your, put your rubber gloves on, get some cleaning done. Active. And, mm. you know, if there's a benefit that your house looks nice and so does your garden, <laughs> that's not a bad thing. Or your kids are playing rounders or something with them. Torture, but nice. Yeah. <laughs> good for them and Absolutely. good for you. And just trying not to eat too many biscuits and sweets. Mm. Very hard during lockdown. Fine, because I was counteracting it with being outside. It would mm. not be fine on a normal day. Oh. Well, I think we've started and ended on chocolates and biscuits. That's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the nature of it. Full circle. I know, and it's tea time, and we're going to resist, aren't we? (laughs) So thank you for that. Just if you were going to give women listening one message then, Elizabeth, what would you be saying to them? Well, I'd say look after yourselves and don't put yourself too far down the line of things to worry about because we won't be there to worry about everybody else if we don't make it. So you have to put yourself first. You need to lie in the bath and relax. You need to take the time to go for a walk. You need to go and have your health checks. You need to take the time to make something delicious to eat, not grab something. We need to give ourselves more value, really. And that's not in our natures. And it's against everything that we're racing around doing. But I think it should be the time where we think about ourselves just a little bit more in order to there for everybody else. Brilliant. Thank you so much. That's just been really, really enjoyable. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
here we are at How to Win at Midlife, and we're turning our attention to booze because we are out of lockdown, the pubs are open, we have friends and family to see, and summer is almost here, which means one thing, the rosé will be flowing. Yes, we've actually been calling this segment when rosé goes wrong, <laughs> because we both had a few nights we'd rather forget on the old pink mm, stuff, yes. haven't we? Do you want to tell us about any of yours, Trish? Do you want to share with the 10 Well, it, it's just the fact that it just gets out of control quite quickly, doesn't it? Yeah. Because it's so delicious and you're desperate for that first glass and you quaff yes. it down and it's all lovely and your friends are there. And, and then you're on to your second one within about 20 minutes. And then before you know it... <laughs> It's the white wine it's werewolf eight, It's 8 o'clock, isn't it? yeah, it's yeah. 8pm and it's the, it's the werewolf, the wine <laughs> werewolf, exactly. Yes. No, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the reason we're talking about this uh, on this show is that your tolerance really does go down when you hit perimenopause and menopause. And there was some disturbing news recently in The Guardian, which mm-hmm. I read that said drinking any alcohol is very damaging for your brain. And yours is tiny, isn't it? My tiny brain, even a tiny glass of wine would be bad (laughs) for my my brain. Even a mouse-sized glass Mm. would affect you, wouldn't it? So what are the options if you don't want to stop drinking completely and you feel that uh, it affects you too much? And also that hangover situation. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Acts in the back of the head. Mm, Yeah, it's not good. Alien somersaulting in your stomach. It's just not (laughs) the next morning. It's so much worse in midlife. Oh, God. Well, I've been doing a bit of investigating and I do think we need a strategy. So the first thing to do is check out a blood alcohol chart have you ever looked at one of those no why would i do that would really upset me well it will upset you but we've got to rein it in so um google it to find one the one i used was on a website called alcohol.org which is i think it's an american one but doesn't really matter because you just put in your your sex your weight and the unit you think you're like you might drink on average so you might say like one glass of wine in 30 minutes and it tells you how much alcohol will be in your bloodstream at that point and how long it will take to leave Now, to get that nice sort of tipsy, relaxed feeling, you need about 0.02 to 0.06% of alcohol in your blood. Okay, got that? Got got that, right? So the percentage for becoming drunk is not that much higher. It's 0.08%. And that's when you start getting a bit bit clumsy, a bit slurry, or possibly a bit shouty, if you're anything like me. (laughs) So can you guess I'm, where I, I am would be? I am a cuddly drunk. Are you cuddly? It's all, you know, because I hate hugging. I know I you do. Like anyone exactly. coming anywhere near me or touching me, I need a 10-mile exclusion zone yes. around me. If I'm a cuddly drunk, it's oh, a terrible thing. Well, I get shouty, so we sort of turn into each other, I think, don't we? <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> oh, I'm you oh, God. sober. You're me drunk. Is that it? Is that uh, the other way around. Anyway. Yeah, okay. anyway, whatever. Tell we can't, we're not, we're not drunk. We're not slurring. We just can't work it out. Anyway, no. so <laughs> can you guess where I would be on that scale of 0.02 to 0.06%? I don't know. You're, minister, you're like a borrower sized person, <laughs> aren't you? Tell yeah, me. so, um, well, I would be at 0.04%. So that's well that's into me. the buzzy yeah. stage. So one glass of rosé, well into the buzzy stage and halfway to bring drunk. Um, And if I stopped drinking there and then, it would take three hours to get the alcohol out of my system. So that's, I know it might sound a bit depressing, but I just think we need the facts, right? So um, I would easily drink two glasses of wine in an hour. So clearly I'm going to be drunk, way drunk within an hour. So I did the kind of same calculations with the gin and tonic because obviously it's longer drink, lots of ice, et cetera. And I always find I can stay in that sort of slightly buzzy zone for longer. And I don't 
tip into drunkenness quite as quickly and I can't right. drink that many gin and tonics I can only drink about two so that's quite good that is a sobering thought mm. I think so what's your advice then okay on this well, situation because I, I have to say when I first went through perimenopause if I had a glass of wine I would be incredibly dizzy mm. as well it was more than tipsy I'd find it quite hard to walk in a straight line I mean I'm mm. better now I'm on HRT obviously that has helped but mm. what would be my plan of an evening now well, for my okay. Wednesday nights the first thing is to have a plan so if you yeah. s- oh. it's good to kind of think about it beforehand and set yourself uh, an think idea as much as I much. can is not a plan is it <laughs> it's not no. the plan I think when you don't think about it that's what can happen but if you think about it you might say right I'm just going to have two glasses of, of wine maybe if you write it down it makes it concrete don't be so and- <laughs> it is fun sponge but this is what this is all about it's about enjoying Mm. your rosé without getting bloody steaming isn't it also think about what you've got planned for the next day can sort of help you focus and stop you getting hungover potential what about food because Mm. jane clark told us the nutritionist last year that you really can't drink on an empty stomach it's much worse in midlife absolutely and that's crucial because if you drink on an empty stomach you what happens well the drink will dump that's the phrase rapidly into your small intestine and it goes straight into your bloodstream missing the part where it's in the stomach and the enzymes are breaking it down so it's literally might as well be injecting it straight into your bloodstream so does that mean that when i'm at a party Mm. i need to ask for a substantial canapé i had did ask for one once at a party i said i can't eat these they're too small do you have any more substantial canapés for me yeah well i think it's difficult isn't it because if you're going to for dinner at someone's house it's often like a good hour before you sit down for dinner isn't it and you don't want to eat the salty nuts and crisps because they just make you thirsty and fat. Oh, I like so yeah, I know I like them. So there is obviously the classic advice about alternating drinks, one glass of alcohol, one glass of water, which is very sensible. No. Yeah, not quite. And that kind of gives you the time to enjoy that lovely buzz of the first drink. This is something I didn't know. You cannot recreate that buzz, that first initial buzz. Oh, that's interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, this that's is the thing. Point. You so... cannot recreate it by continuing to drink because right. you build a tolerance over the evening. So as you drink more, you start tolerating it more and that lovely buildup mm. of alcohol where you get that feeling goes so should you yes. not have that drink again is that what you're saying no i'm saying what happens to me is i have a drink and think oh god that feels lovely i'll have another one because i can stay <laughs> feeling like that you can't stay feeling like that oh so you have to acknowledge it's that a before you go out yes yeah, so if you acknowledge that and think i'm not going to sustain this lovely light you know right. feeling that's mm. the thing it's difficult isn't it you won't feel that lovely mood lifting thing but you'll get all the the so other drunk side effects well what you do is you can go on to there are so many brilliant low and no alcohol products now and actually i'm not i've only really just started kind of investigating those because i think in days of old those they were dreadful weren't they and like especially the wines they were really sweet exactly but i think that there are lots of new brands out there i quite like a beer i like an india pale ale an ipa what are you saying to me you like an ipa you are the person i would least see with a pint of ipa no it's no it's those trendy little craft beers you know so it's not lager it's like a it's it's really nice so though there's kind of like brew dog what have you got for me on the cocktail front so many gins obviously seed lip everybody knows cotswold distillery which has something called the cotswold's dry gin essence and for a classy cocktail drinking girl like you lorraine there's martini martini has a really nice range of non-alcohol aperitivos that's great and what about my rosé do you know why i drink rosé because jerry hole 
that I've done two name oh, drops God, in one show. Jerry Hall, yeah. who I was having dinner with. Oh. <laughs> Remember, I worked for Mr Murdoch for a yes, bit. Indeed. Um, yes, indeed. She said to me, and I can't do a Texan accent because I'll be mm. arrested. She said to me that you have to drink Whispering Angel. It's the oh, only yes. one. It's, it's the only nice, one, Trish. One. It is. Nice. So now yeah. I do, and I think of Jerry yeah. and Brian Ferry and Rupert Jerry Murdoch. Oh, and any everything. other rhymes? Any other rhymes? No. Jerry and Brian Ferry. I can't um, have rosé, can I? Because that's just not. It's it's too strong. You can have one glass, but can you stop there? That's the thing. Could you no. stop there and then go on to one of the many alternatives? So the, mm. with wines, there's whites, reds, rosés. All in the supermarkets right. but i discovered something called the drydrinker.com which i have to say i'm asking where have you been all my life it's brilliant go and have a look at it. its website it's got everything on there all the wines beers, everything it's really good and it does gift boxes subscriptions all sorts of things so i just think it's going to get bigger and bigger this good. whole no low alcohol thing. i'm adding that on my list thank you very yes much. so you can have a rosé fueled but hangover free summer after all but one more thing to tell you Lorraine one of our listeners called Helen who is also a member of our Facebook group posted that this podcast is the gin to the Facebook's tonic I quite like that that. I quite like that you're the gin to my tonic mate oh we are nearly at the end of the show which we know means it's time for nostalgia noodle what is yours well I have gone back in time after a piece I was reading in a newspaper called The Atlantic about family lect, which is the vocabulary that we use in families that are just for us, only us, kind of weird names for things. Because I was remembering what my dad, Mm. (laughs) who's 81 now, but when we were little, he used to forget the name of everything. So we had lots of things in the house that had different names from what normal people would call them. And it was very confusing when my friends would come round. So he used to call the, what was the remote control from the telly, the very early ones, a Doobry Firkin. I mean, what's a Doobree Firkin? That sounds like a craft beer. What, Don't you think? It means nothing. It's apparently family lects. It's really important like in it. families. It's about connecting. Mm-hmm. It's about recreating your family feelings wherever you go. Mm. We have a few at home. Mm. If someone passes wind, Mabel <laughs> says, "Don't do a boffy." Where's that come from? We call it a boffy in our family. Okay. Um, my gran used to say, "She's casting nasturtiums." Nasturtiums. It, it oh, took I like me that. ages to work out that they are plants, nasturtiums, yes. and she meant aspersions. aspersions yeah. So we now use nasturtiums for all sorts of things. Mm. Have you got any family? Well, there? I've got one that I use that was one of my my mum's from when we were little. It's so it's basically when the children say, "Where's my?" You know, yeah, long list of things, anything, and the answer to that is up in Granny's room behind the wallpaper. <laughs> Which basically means sod off and go and find it yourself, I think. We've got one for the where's my. Mm. You know, they open the fridge and they are literally looking at the thing in the fridge they've asked for. And I say, bum eyes. (laughs) As in, are you looking at it with your bum eyes? Oh, you haven't got any eyes in your bum. No wonder you can't see it. Now, where have you been down well, memory lane? I've been, to the sh- I've, been, I've been shopping, perusing the shoe shops of Wembley High Road. Oh, <laughs> oh, the glamour. <laughs> Which is where we used to go shopping for our shoes. And it was that sort of time, that moment when you were allowed to move beyond Clark's and into Dulce's 
Freeman oh, Hardy yeah. Willis and Lillian yeah. Skinner. Do you remember well, Freeman those? Freeman Hardy Willis, I remember, indeed. Yes, did you exactly. have to get your foot measured? Well, I don't think they did it in there. That was the point, was it? They did yeah, it in Clarks. But they, <laughs> you didn't, they didn't just threw the shoes at you in there, they didn't threw, they? But you were so, like, bewildered by all the beautiful fashion shoes. But actually, I did a little Google. They all still exist. They're all still online. Do they? they? Where would you take your teens, though, well, to get their shoes? They kill you if you took Tricky, them. isn't it? But they all wear trainers now. There's no shoes going yeah. on. But do you remember Ravel? That was the posh oh, yeah. one. Ravel yeah. was the posh one. And we didn't that... have any in Cornwall. Oh, you didn't have Ravel's? No, well, we, we had didn't. one. We had, to go to we had one on Wembley High Road. Yeah. <laughs> I remember going there once with my mum and I was desperate to get these shoes. I, th- I can't quite remember. There was sort of like a high-heeled loafer with a tassel on them. Do you remember Sounds those? awful. They were, well, they were kind of okay if you got the right version. I got the wrong version and they were basically... Because oh, <laughs> I was going to a party that night and I was so desperate for these shoes. And they were brown and where the tassel is on the front was like a sort of cream insect. So cream <laughs> and brown like tap shoes oh just awful with a heel and anyway i i i did catch somebody sniggering at them at the party that evening it's oh, very that's sad the, that's probably very where sad. all your people pleasing started sad. your self-esteem yeah, issues those shoes well that brings us to the end of this episode of postcards from midlife thank you all for listening if you enjoyed it please tell your friends and all the midlife women you know and remember to subscribe on your podcast provider and do rate and review us too and if you could make sure you download your episodes so they count on our listener numbers that would be super helpful please And don't forget, you can join our private Facebook group as well to carry on these brilliant conversations. We love hearing from you. We love to hear your experiences. And we are, of course, on Instagram as well. Or you can email us, hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. Goodbye. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.